everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers sitting around, drinking and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's hosts are Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 67, an interview with Raven Belasco. Welcome, Raven. I'm so excited to be on this podcast that I've been listening to for, I don't know, you guys have been doing it for a while now, right? Yeah, we were noticing if you're, you're episode 67, technically yes. 52 is our one year mark. So going strong. 67 is a solid number. I'm happy to be 67. I look forward to being 67 one day successfully. I can retire when I'm 67. That, that's something to nice. look forward, forward, forward to. I'm going to be unbearable singing when I'm 65 from the Beatles song as soon as I am indeed 65. 64. 64. Yes. Come on. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> so, Raven, you write great paranormal romances with vampires. And I don't say that lightly because there is a lot of paranormal romance with vampire out there. Tell us about your different approach. Where did you go? How did you get in there? Um, well, because I come at it from loving horror and... Only, you know, I mean, I, I saw the paranormal romance genre coming up and I was delighted by it. Uh, and I've read definitely more than my fair share of it. Uh, but when there's vampires to me, there's more than just romance. Uh, there's also, you know, a huge amount of history to be explored. Uh, and, you know, just there's a there's a lot of deeper stuff in there than just like ooh, sexy vampire meets sexy human, and they get on with the sexy stuff. <laughs> so, were you a? Uh, did you get started as I may have back in the Chelsea Quinarbro vampire books, or where did you? Oh, find yeah, your- she is a favorite, and I'm, I'm like literally behind me. The entire span <laughs> of the Saint Germain books are sitting there. Um, I actually started with Dracula. I'm a classic sort of girl. Um, I think I read Dracula when I was 12, uh, which is, you know, possibly a weird thing for a 12-year-old to be reading, but uh, in my house. (laughs) Seems normal. Perfectly normal. All you 12-year-olds out there, go read vampire books. (laughs) I also, uh, just to make it all the more uh, interestingly morbid, grew up with a cemetery as my playground and, and backyard, basically. So, uh, you know, this, if you're now imagining me like sitting in a Revolutionary War era cemetery reading Dracula, that's not far from wrong. It's entirely so, where I'm imagining uh, right this, now. Was, was this like a, a professional thing? I mean, was your father a, a, a grave digger or...? No, no, but um, I've always said that if I was going to be busted for any crime and have it on my permanent record, you know, grave robber is definitely my, my like, aspirational one. Um, can, I, can, can I, I'm sorry, I, I have to interrupt at this point just to say that I know somebody who was prosecuted for grave robbing. <laughs> oh He's a God. friend of mine and a former of, publisher of mine. Of course um, you do. Of co- yes. I expect nothing less. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, this still delights. He's a lovely, lovely man, um, but he really, really wanted to try the whole take a human calf bone and make a flute out of it thing. As you do. Now, 
So I just figure lovely. it's cheaper than and, and better, you know, people are buying plastic skeletons for their lawns. Have we considered yes. that they just don't biodegrade and, and exactly. recycle the way that human skeletons do? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now we need to, the the market in in uh, you know uh, recollected and reused corpses. It's all recycling. It is. Yeah. It is. And and I think the plastic ones are just you know the big petrol pushing their ideas onto us. <laughs> yes, but then you have to think of the embalming fluid issue. So you know that you know. Yeah, this is this is something I didn't grow up with because in the UK we generally don't embalm bodies. Well, you have bog bodies over there, right? We do. Ooh. We do have bog bodies. Now, how would that change for a vampire that was stuck in a bog rather than a coffin? Oh. He'd, be, he'd be stuck for centuries and then dug up and he'd be all wrinkly. Would he be all wrinkly? No, there's that. It's uh, sort of, I've looked up the Irish bog bodies. It's, it's not quite the same. It's actually fairly smooth and compact, almost, you know, uh, chemicals leaching in. Okay. But, but would the vampiric tissues allow those chemicals in? That's the question. That is you know. a beautiful um, science would, question. But bug bodies tend to go all leathery. Would that happen to a living vampire, living um, undead vampire? Well, they're um, kind of leathery now, aren't they? I mean, they have tougher know. skin, I thought. They have to... So, Lisbeth, you're the yes. expert. In my series, as you go through the centuries, you do get more leathery. So, so that answers that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I predict that that uh, the millions of people who listen to this podcast, there's suddenly going to be a glut of bog people vampire stories hitting all of the horror markets in the next, you know, month or two. That's what we're for. <laughs> to inspire an audience to lead their minds down strange new pathways. I promise to go out and look what? out and see if there's any starter bog people vampire stories out there. So <laughs> But back to your series. So you you like, I like the, the, are they all historical vampires or are they modern, but with historical twists? A lovely mix of both, shall I say. Um, So in book one, uh, our uh, somewhat bored uh, librarian heroine uh, is going about living, you know, in irony, kind of a half-life. And, uh, she meets this this uh, dark and handsome stranger. Not he's not tall, but um, and uh, then it turns out that he is actually Vlad Sepesh, uh, Dracula himself. So so uh, there was a lot of a history to put in there, um, and then a lot of a lot of other history with with other characters to kind of sort of seed into there um, for what was coming. Um, in the second, so, oh, and then... Um, and that's the Blood Ex Libris. I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pimp you properly all the way through that. That's in Blood Ex Libris, correct? Yes, the first book in the series is Blood Ex Libris. So Blood uh, of the Library. So yeah. Yes. Um, or, and, and so his, uh, the big bad um, is actually the, the person... Uh, who Vlad fought in real life, Mehmet II. Um, so after that, it was kind of like, okay, I guess we're going to have to keep our bad guys real too. It just, it felt right. So in the second one, which is Blood Sign Quanon, Non, um, we have, actually we had a weird problem where I had my bad guy. Uh, it was 
uh, Julius or Julio Popper, um, who was a, a conquistador um, in South America. And then going along writing the story and this other bad guy just jumped up into the story and was like, you have to have me in here. Um, and so he was orally Antoine de Tununens, um, or Tuens. Uh, he um, was another, well, basically colonizer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he just in, put himself in, wrote himself into the story. So, um, so far, all my, all my big bads are, are real uh, vampires. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be are, they, are, they, are, they all people, are they all people who you think of as bad in real life? Well, um, I mean, Mehmet II is not thought of as a bad guy by the Turkish people. Right, because um, I don't think about him at all. Uh, he, he was just, uh, you know, it, it, this was a time when Turkey was really expanding, um, and he was sort of at the forefront of pushing uh, to have the, the, the Ottoman Empire be as big as possible. Right. Um, so he definitely wasn't a bad guy in his own eyes. And sure. I have to say that uh, Julio and Orly, um, they don't think they're the bad guys. No, uh, I know. <laughs> Everyone has to do that with their own story. Come on. Yes, absolutely. No, you're not going to let me get away with that. Um, uh, I mean, for me to write a bad guy, I kind of have to find something bad about him, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, just inter I'm interested now in the notion of taking someone from history who history has generally recorded as a good guy and making them, you know, making them the villain of the piece. I think that's interesting. It, well, I think it's all perspective. <laughs> yeah, good is relative. Good is completely relative. And also, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing, right? Unless, you know, they're truly evil. Maybe even them. It's yeah. perfectly reasonable for me to go do this thing because it's in my interest and I want to, and everybody else is wrong. Uh, so if, if this actually was a, an issue that I worked through uh, first dealing with Julio uh, because he, um, we're, we're, I'm on first name basis in my, all my of course you now, are. So, uh, <laughs> so well, he, Julio's the conquistador, yeah? Yeah, he's Julio Popper. Yep, he was, so... He is Romanian born. Um, and uh, in the first book, we have Vlad, who is like the Romanian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually, like a lot of people might see him as a bad guy. I mean, there well, was. I mean, he, is, he has gone down in history as Vlad the Impaler. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there was a fair bit of impaling and other unpleasant deaths uh, around him. So yeah. it was a lot of fun for me explaining in his voice, why he did what he did right. and, um, you know, and turning him into a good guy. And, and, but one of the things that as I was doing that was, uh, you know, the Romanian people see him as a hero. Like they're, mm. you know, they're, they're like, yeah, you know, the people who were coming in and invading our country, you, you gotta impale them to keep the rest out, you know? <laughs> you know, you gotta teach them a lesson. Don't, don't come and mess with Romanians or Wallachians, as the case may be. Um, and, but then with, with uh, Julius Popper or, or Julio Popper, uh, his name kind of changed as he spent more time yeah. in, in Spanish-speaking countries. Um, yeah. He, 
there's actually like I mean he is he's pretty horrible. Like he <laughs> basically perpetuated genocide on the native Selknam peoples. Um well, well, where was this? Down isn't that uh, Tierra del Fuego, somewhere down south? Yep. Yep, yep. exactly. Had um, okay. And uh basically like made his own little like cult like situation where he was you know putting out coinage with his face on it mm. stamps with his face on it like name you know every, you know like basically everyone who lived there was you know either you know like kids left because their parents had been killed by him or people that he allowed in and they all kind of had he was a very cult-like and pretty despicable figure but as i'm as i'm doing research for him there are you know Romanians who see him as heroic as they see Vlad. And I was like, okay, now I'm getting into some interesting shit. <laughs> like, you know, because my, my last Romanian who killed lots of people, I made my hero. And this Romanian who killed lots of people, I'm making my bad guy. Yes. So, hmm. I, I think you well, have to be a little bit in love with all of your major characters, though, don't you? I mean, you have to love your hero, but if you don't really love your bad guy, then is he truly real when you're writing him? Well, I guess I'm going to need you to take a look at book two for me. <laughs> my my bad guys, just from the minute they showed up, I was like, I cannot wait to kill you. Like, <laughs> you, well, see, you guys need to go. <laughs> see, Jeannie, not everybody loves bad boys the way you do. I like to kill bad boys just as well as, you know, anything else. It's... <laughs> You just want to make it personal and beautiful. May they have a beautiful death. These these guys, uh, let, let's just say there's not a lot of beauty going on. But uh, they, they, you do very much get their perspective. They they do a lot of talking. They do they they get they get their perspective out. So um, you know, I hope that people will be invested uh, in in what happens to them. Absolutely. Now, you. You call the series Sex and Blood and Ancient Scrolls. Is that a hooker? How did you decide upon your series name? Because I've been well, looking at actually, this a lot recently. <laughs> this is actually a, a slightly heartbreaking uh, uh, thing. Is the, the, the title had to just be taken down to Blood and Ancient Scrolls. Oh. Um, I know. So this is literally the wittiest thing that I've ever come up with because of the <laughs> Sex and Blood and Ancient Scrolls is is homage to sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yes. Amazing yeah. Ian Dury. did get that. So why, why do you have to change it? Amazon. They would oh. not, if my series had the word sex in, they wouldn't list it. Oh. Yeah. How amazing so, annoying. Yeah. Because I was like, look, I am doing truth in advertising and a witty pun at the same time. How am how incredible am I, right? What's up? <sighs> and they, you know, they wouldn't let me. They're like, no, no sex. And I'm like, but, but not only is there sex in my book, so I'm giving everyone a, like a heads up, but you also sell sex ties, toys and like erotica and porn yes. on your website. So yes, don't even do. talk to me. <laughs> and yet, there they were. Um, and yet, so, so what, was, what was the new series title? Just they took the sex off, the sex in. So it's just blood and ancient scrolls. Okay, that's no fun at all. Um, I know. Um, <laughs> let's 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 talk more about the sex. Yeah. Um Because if, if if Amazon won't allow it, we totally will. Yeah. Um, so 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 
I mean, how, how, how specific are we getting in this? He wants to know, is it graphic? Yes, that's graphic. what I'm we're, we're, we're raunchy. Yay! Uh, uh, the, the spice level is caliente. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like picante caliente sex. <laughs> we get occasionally well, fussy with uh, avoiding cliches on it, but you have so much detail and fun you can get to. Like, especially with vampires, they don't need to breathe, right? Uh, actually, these ones do need oxygen. And that's, ah, okay. that's an interesting thing that, that comes into it later. Uh, there is a, a state called the uh, asta that a vampire can be put into if they are emptied out of blood or if they're stuck in a room with absolutely zero oxygen. Um, so... Uh, now I'm seeing vampires in space. We found yeah, them floating yeah. around. Indeed. So, um, you know, um, it may get there. <laughs> so, I, I, continuing this theme of, of, of bodily function, <laughs> um, um, do they swear? Uh, no. So, I actually worked uh, with a biologist friend of mine and, and really spent a lot of time thinking of the biology of vampires. Yeah. And so, what they, what they have is a super... Um, uh, now I'm going to blank on the, the word for it. Uh, effective uh, system. Their their whole body just has come down to they're just intaking blood as a nutrient, and and that is what's powering them. So they have to be super efficient with what they do with it. So there is no reason for them to sweat. Like you know, they're they're not dealing with heat and cold the same way uh, humans are, and they're not uh, so. They also do not cry. Um, uh, there is an interesting facet uh, where they do ejaculate, and when they do, they ejaculate blood. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I mean, a pint of blood really is only about, what, like 600, 650 kilocalories. So uh -huh. when you look at that, if, if I... How do you know that? Uh, I couldn't possibly say but let's just say that i thought this was common knowledge and everybody knew how much calories were in a cup of blood because then we're contemplating that oh if a, if a vampire drinks you know a cup of blood a night maybe that's less than a pint so you could donate every three days you know I, I was trying to work it out of you know the how many calories are, do vampires take in a day and yet what can they do with that so your super efficiency that makes sense that's that's exactly you like that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, these I need these vampires. Like you know, a lot of uh, authors have vampires who kill every time they drink, but I wanted my vampires to be able to just have you know a, a, a bit of a nip, a hefty nip. Um, you know, so in that you know with that, I had to to make them process their calories super efficiently. Well, that's all right. If you think about it, the entire human body, then if you have 10 gallons, roughly, of blood, and I think there's less um, times. Hang on. 10 pints, surely. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Well, that's even less. So even if you, if you drank a whole person dry, you only still have 5,000, and that's not enough for Michael Phelps to compete on. So that's how we know Michael Phelps isn't a vampire. And I may have thought a little bit too much about Olympics and vampire competition here. No, you haven't. Not too much at all. I love it. <laughs> the yeah. sisterhood of vampire biology. I think it's important. 
it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously important for you to reassure us that Michael Phelps is not a vampire. Well, right. I thank you for that. Yes, it's good I, to know. I yeah, think he, that's probably going to be the most important part of this podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're, Finally. Hey, we've cleared your name, Michael, if you ever hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but is, is Novak Djokovic a vampire? The no, tennis he, player? he plays tennis in the sun. Come on. Again, um, yeah. Raven, do your, do, your, do your vampires have trouble in sunlight? They do, but not in the, you know, becoming a pile of dust yeah. sort of trouble. Uh, oh. They get really bad migraines. Oh no! All the poor things. <laughs> yes. So there's 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 big big beta blocker sunglasses and definitely an attempt not to go out in the sun. Right. Sure. I love it. So is this gonna? Are you planning a a long series of it? Is it the same heroine each time, or do you does she like get a taste for dating different bad boy vampires, or are they different heroines for each one? Uh. Well, the so the first three books are going to all have the same heroine, Anushka, Noosh for short. Um, and then I don't want to get stuck in a rut. So what I'm, I'm hoping to do is uh, move to different characters within that world with her making appearances now and again. So are you going to have any female vampires? Oh, there has been no lack of female vampires. I don't know. I, my big dads have all tended to be boys, uh, but there Speaking has been... Speaking of the boy, I resent this. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, the big dads are interesting, so that's a, a compliment there. Well, um, if we're, again, it's the Hungarian issue. You have Elizabeth Bathory, who is everybody's yeah. favorite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um but uh, there are plenty of lady vampires throughout these books, and uh, Nusha's relationship with them uh, is very important, actually, in moving her along in the vampire world, or the, the Amor world, because uh, not only did I geek out on the, the biology of vampires, but they actually have their own language as well. Oh, cool. What did you base it on, besides Romanian? Uh, not Romanian, actually, at all. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to keep that a secret until the third book comes out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is it something to look forward to? Uh, yeah, it would, it would give away too much about uh, the, how vampires, you know, the, the origin story. So. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, now, here's the one thing I have to say, although I got grumpy with, we, we mentioned a little bit of Anne Rice's vampires and... To mm-hmm. me, they got a little tiresome, but the thing I liked about Queen of the Dam is she at least gave a nod to all of the global different vampire legends, which are dramatically different around the world. Do you go in a similar way, or what do you can you can you preview without giving it away to us how you looked at origin stories? So uh, I put a big line down what the Amur, uh, their, their word for themselves really are and then all of the key or human legends about vampires so uh noosh is first has to be sort of re-educated you know she has she has this preconceived notion of what vampires are and she has to be she goes i mean she has to because i throw her into this world Um, (laughs) um she has to learn really quickly what you know real uh vampirism is about um or die trying. Um, and 
so my focus hasn't, I mean, my, my Emmer world is very international um, and that's very important to me. Um, but the actual legends that us humans have about uh, vampires don't really play in because that's not the world that she's, she's not in that human world dealing with those human legends. She's actually in the vampire world dealing with the, the reality. Mm-hmm. I like it. So what are your thoughts on how, given that you loved the original Dracula, did you see the, the recent TV series they did this year? Uh, Steve Moffat, who's one of my favorites, and I think Mark Gaddis put it together. They took Bram Stoker's Dracula and they set it in kind of a time-stepping now plus then all at the same time. Did you see it? What were your thoughts? I didn't let myself see it because I was in the middle of braiding stuff and I didn't want to get influenced. Um, that's fair. That's fair. I'm probably safe now. Like I, I really have built my world up so much that yeah. like I can, uh, but when I actually first started writing the first one, I cut myself off from all vampire uh, stories except Dracula and didn't read any for years. Um, so when, when did you start writing this? So, so six years ago. Okay. Um, uh, I actually I had a dream, um, which was one of the sex scenes in the the first. One. I love those dreams. Yeah, <laughs> steady. <laughs> and I woke up and I was like, not only do I know this whole sex scene, like it's still in my head, but I know the backstory for the characters that were having sex. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, um, better just drop everything that I planned for today and write this all down because how often do you just get, give a free, like, story plot, you know? Totally. Um, and so that, it all just, yeah, it all just started with a dream. Yeah, I need more sex dreams like that. Yeah, definitely. Very helpful. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a chat with my vampires. and see. <laughs> Please, please. I appreciate that. It's it's an interesting retelling as, as taking some of these historical figures and saying that they were monsters because they were monsters. What are your thoughts on, is there a, is there a philosophical argument that we just, I mean, is it kind of an easy out for us sometimes to think, well, people did these horrible things to other people, but it's really because they weren't human? What are your thoughts? Oh, I mean, eh, you know, it's like... In the first book, I can kind of avoid that because the battle is between two, you know, people who were, you know, deadly enemies in real life. But in the second one, I really can't get around that. Um, but I, I honestly think that the people I chose, well, so Julio was an actual monster because yeah. he was monstrous to humans. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Orly was just batshit crazy. Um, and he would have been a monster if he could have been, but mostly he's just pathetic. Um, but in the books, they are monsters to the other monsters. So they're both. It's, it's, not, it's not or, it's and. Yeah, that makes sense. What is your process when you did, I mean, you sat down, you clearly had, you told us about the dream and the scene. Do you, did you go through and then kind of figure out what kind of an outline this had to be? So I guess the question, are you more of a pencer on this or a plotter or... Plotter with pantsy moments, or? George <laughs> so, R. R. Martin has better terms for those, uh, or at least more, uh, less embarrassing, because I definitely am a pantser. Um, he said that there are two types of writers. There are the architect and the gardener. 
And I love that um, because I'm a gardener and, <laughs> and uh, I basically like, I know what the seed is supposed to grow into. And that's really it. Like once I get that thing in the ground and start watering it, I have no idea what the growing process is going to look like. And I've kind of like in the first book, I wrote the scene and then I went back and I diligently did my outline. And then I started trying to write it. And my characters were like, no, <laughs> we're not. No, no, no. You think you've had enough sex scenes, but actually we're just going to have sex right now. And I'm uh, like, no, 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 we've had enough sex scenes for this book. You don't need to have sex again. And they're like, well, we're just doing that now. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, I'm not even in control anymore. So, um, yeah, that's basically when I start writing. Um, so my, my actual, the way I do it is uh, I get up in the morning, I feed myself and my dog, and I take the dog for a walk in the woods. And while we walk in the woods, I roll over in my head, what did I do last night? you know, yesterday in the writing, what am I trying to accomplish today? Um, and uh, my, my little man helps by, by just being himself. He, he actually does, the, he really does all the writing. Like he's actually just the, the, the real force behind all of this, of course. Of course. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So by the time we get home from the walk, I'm usually ready to sit down and roll. But even there, like, I, you know, I know where I'm trying to hit at the end of a thousand words or so, but just yesterday I was writing and I was like, oh, hey, so this is how this is going now. Okay. Um, right. Didn't see that one coming. Um, you set yourself up like a quota. I mean, sort of like we're, we've, we've talked a lot about writing in the time of cholera, as it were, and, and the challenges that everybody's facing. Do you, I, clearly routine is working for you. Do you give yourself a daily quota of where you want to meet as well? Oh, well, I have a three-book contract with deadlines, so I don't have an option. <laughs> oh, there's nothing like yeah. deadlines. Well done. <laughs> anyway, to go, to go back with, your, with your, your morning ritual, so that makes you a, a walk and roller? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're keeping the injury in there after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's going to be a dagger twisted, you know, Karen's there for you. <laughs> I count on her. Yes, my job. What are your thoughts on the topics of you? You briefly, I've seen, I've seen over your shoulders in the past. Uh, you have both the science and and religious history of it. Where do you feel that this fits into a larger religious framework? Your vampires, or does it? Uh, yes, and we're also skirting near to things I cannot tell you yet. Um, <gasps> Ooh. Okay, so you're clearly they're going to have to go buy the books to find out why religion is or isn't important to these vampires. It it well it is religion is very important to the origin myth. Um, I can say in the first book that uh, two of the vampires are Christian and have found their Christian faith very comforting while being Amor. So um, it is not impossible to be and Amor, and to, to have faith. Um, but uh, my, my biggity biggest good, um, uh, which is what I've been calling him, uh, he, he is very tied in with uh, religious ideas. How about the bad guys? Are they also tied in with religious ideas? I'm, you know, I'm trying to not step on that landmine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possibly. So, 
so yeah, we're we're all the all the like badness and controversy like that's not going to be touching on anybody's religion ever, at all. Good plan. Good plan. Although imagine you know if you could get you could get someone you know issuing you know a a fatwa against you because of your books. I bet your books would sell really 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 well. <gasps> they would. There's and, nothing like and, scandal. Exactly yeah. and going into hiding, you know, for my protection wouldn't be very much different than just living in the time of COVID. So, you know, exactly. I'm good to go. <laughs> That's it. I shall go underground. I shall not leave this room for the next week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I could, you know, in the first books that are already out, like, um, you know, Turkish people might be really pissed off at me for taking their, their, you know, Mehmet the Conqueror and turning him into a bad guy. Um, and, you know, in the second book, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be upset about Orly because he's kind of an obscure enough uh, historical figure that I don't think there's anyone going to like try to die on that hill. But, you know, Julio Popper, you know, somebody might feel cranky about that. Um, <laughs> and I had to, you know, sort of think about that when I when I chose him. I think you should pick Alexander Hamilton as one of your vampires. I think that, you know, you could do a nice crossover with, with that whole, you know, play thing that people seem to like and, you know, just have a built-in audience. I, I think it's a great idea. I, I, I like that and I'm ready to roll on that one because I have a lot of, like, side vampires. She meets she meets a lot of international vampires and there's there's two American vampires from different points in, in history. Um, All you have to would, write out is the, is the libretto historic vampire piece, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to work with, with you know, that, that sounds like a collaboration with someone there. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Uh, I wonder if Lin-Manuel is, you know, busy. Uh, I think he probably is pretty busy, but, you know, maybe, maybe I can get to be a big enough name that he'll consider working with me. Cool. Well, remember that some of the, some of the biggest names started in, with just little ideas, like, Neil Gaiman's Sandman was pitched to George mm -hmm. Martin, who said, eh, I don't know if that'll sell. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So all you need to do is be rejected by somebody really big or important. And <laughs> actually, I, I liked Martin's vampire. He did Fever Dream, and his vampires were like, yeah. they, they killed and ate people, so they died, which made all vampire lil you know, layers smelled terrible because he was the first person to just of what human beings actually do when they die, which is very unsanitary. Yes. So. Yeah, it's one of the extraordinary things about um, George Martin's career when you look back at him, because um, he started as a science fiction writer and wrote some of the classic genre-defining SF of his time. And, and then he wrote the classic genre-defining horror novel of his time, because Fever Dream is that good. Yeah. Um, and and then, then, of course, the whole Game of Thrones thing happened, and he's, he's writing, he is still writing, the classic genre-defining fantasy of our time. Mm -hmm. I don't think he defined fantasy. I think he just ran with a trope. I disagree with you profoundly, but there you go. Okay, well, there's nothing to settle. Hit cocktails at sunset, sure. 10 paces. <laughs> so... Where are you going with the next one? Can you hint us as we talk about where, you know, your next release is going to come out? Do we know when? 2020, 2021? Are you still writing it? Oh, yeah. Um, end of January, 2021. <gasps> Ooh. So soon, then. Soon. Yes. 
Yes, all too soon. I need to I need to get off the phone with you guys and get down and start writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand, and we'll totally let you do that, but I just want to make sure that we have links to all of your books and the interesting stories of yours, and we'll put it on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. And you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. Raven, if somebody's got questions about vampires, can we pose them to you? Will you help us answer them? I, I'm a fangirl. I, all I want is fans and people to get involved in the series and be as excited about my vampires as I am. Well, so, yeah, just ravenbelasco at gmail.com. I, I think it's beautiful, and frankly, we're going to tell them, uh, we may have some people post questions on our Facebook page, so I'll keep an eye peeled to make sure that we get those answered through you on there. So everyone, write in your vampire questions and observations, and we're there for you. So there. So excited. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for coming. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Lingberg. You can hear more from Michael Lingberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>